I got some bars of my own. I don't know, do you want them? Mars bar. Jesus said, hey, death, I've been dying to meet you. I came all this way with a plan to defeat you. You think you're going to beat me, but I know I'm going to beat you. And my power over death is my redeeming feature. You're welcome. Right, we're going to read a very, very old story from a very, very old book. Uh, And I'm reading John's account of that Easter morning. And so this is John chapter 20 and the first few verses. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples and the one whom Jesus loved. That's John who's writing it. He's like, I'm the one who Jesus loved. And and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter, because John's faster than Peter, and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who'd reached the tomb first, he's still bragging about it, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary, and this is really where we're going to go this morning when we look at this story. But Mary stayed there, and she stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord And I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said all these things to her. That's the word of God. After Friday, with its noise and clamor and energy and busyness and drama and anger and injustice and pain, and after Saturday, 
with its silence and in-betweenness and waiting and suspended animation and anticipation and disorientation and discombobulation, sitting on the hands, uncertainty, comes Sunday, the first day of a brand new week, a very new week. Early in the morning, on Sunday, while it is still dark, proper early, proper dark, not just physically dark, but existentially dark, spiritually dark, because the light of the world has been extinguished. Isn't it Jesus who had shouted, it is finished? Mary Magdalene, first one there, at the tomb, which is in a garden. Why is Mary there? Of all the people that were touched by Jesus, of all the people that heard his story, why is Mary the one that's there? I'll tell you why. Because the stakes are so high for her. She's a single woman in a very patriarchal, first century Middle Eastern world with no one else to represent her, with nowhere else to stand in society. The guys, Peter, John, they could go back to fishing. Mary can never go back to her village for shame. She can never go back to her demons. The stakes are so high for her. She's put all her eggs in this one Easter basket. She's bet everything she has on the rider on the donkey. And now he's gone. So the stakes are high for Mary. She's the one that's got the most to lose if he's dead. She's the one that's got the most to gain if he's alive. How about you? What changes for you if Jesus is alive or if he isn't? What changes in your world, in your life, in your stuff? How high are the stakes for you? How much have you got hanging on the resurrection? For Mary, it was everything. For everyone else, they stayed in bed and had a nice Sunday lion. And as we ping through the bit of the story where all the running is happening, and John is just flexing that he's faster than Peter. It's like Peter's a good sailor. He's a boat guy. He's not really a running guy. There's a lot of seeing in this passage. The word seeing happens Lots of times. So Mary's outside the tomb, and she sees. It's quite dark, but she sees that the stone has been moved away. That's what she sees. That's enough for her. She runs, goes and gets the guys, wakes them up. Peter, John, come on. They come running. They start running together, but John outruns Peter. I think that's horrible. Not because I would be outrun by pretty much anyone here. But I think Jesus has spent his whole time trying to teach them to do stuff together, to not be competitive, to not try and outdo each other. They're supposed to be running together, and they're still being competitive, even on Easter morning, trying to be better than each other. John gets there first, looks into the tomb, sees the linen cloths there. Then Peter comes, (laughs) pushes John out the way, goes into the tomb, actually goes in and sees the linen cloth there and also the head cloth at the other end of the the shelf where the body would have been lying. So the grave clothes are there. When Lazarus 
a few days earlier, had been called out of the tomb by Jesus, Lazarus had come out, still wrapped in all his grave clothes. In kids' church, we normally wrap ourselves up in toilet paper to act it, isn't it? Out he comes, and the first thing they have to do is unwrap him. Jesus, somehow, his corpse, his body, has come through the grave clothes, leading them where they are when Jesus rose again. He doesn't need unwrapping. If someone had come to steal the body, they wouldn't have spent hours sitting in the tomb, unwrapping it, and then folding the grave clothes. They would have taken it and gone. So Peter and John, that's what they see, and then they go. They didn't see much. But Mary stays by the tomb, and she's weeping. And then she looks into the tomb. And where the guys had seen grave clothes, Mary sees angels. I don't know. Is it because she was brokenhearted? Is it because she was desperate? The stakes were higher. I think when you're crying, you can see a bit more clearly. She sees angels. Did the men's ambition and competition blind them somehow? And the angels say to Mary, woman... Why are you crying? It's a great question. There's a lot of tenderness in it. Why are you crying? What's going on with you? And she's thinking, how can you ask me that? I'm crying because he was everything. I'm crying because he had given me so much promise. There were so many things that being with Jesus had promised me. I'm crying because everything was invested in following him, and now he's gone. And what's become of him, I don't know. And what's going to become of me, I don't know. I have nothing if this is not true. And then verse 14, it's a beautiful verse. Having said this, so she's got a head in the grave, kind of down here, talking to these angels. And then verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. So she senses, she's talking to the angels. I wouldn't turn around, I'm talking to an angel. She senses someone over here. So she turns around, don't bump your head, turn around slowly. Turns around. And she saw Jesus standing there. He's behind you. But she did not know that it was Jesus. She sees a man. It's still kind of dark. She's been crying. She's very emotional. And also, she's not expecting to see Jesus alive because people don't come back from the dead. That's ridiculous. But because it's in a garden, because the tomb is in a private garden, she thinks, oh, early morning, it's the gardener. He's come to water his flowers or something. So she thinks he's the gardener. Small aside, spoiler alert. He kind of is the gardener because Jesus has come to plant a new world and to bring life and to water what's dead and make it come to life. And he asked her the same question that the angel, isn't that weird? Like this angel asked me the same question. Now this bloke's asking me the same question. Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? You see, if you're looking for a holy man, 
If you're looking for a good teacher, for the, the son of a carpenter, for your friend Jesus, someone who can pray some prayers and do some miracles, then you're looking in the right place because he's dead. If you're looking for a corpse, a memory, a history, a philosophy, a religion, some principles to live by, you're looking in the right place. There are plenty of religions in the world, and they're all started by a holy man with a grave. Muhammad's got a grave. Buddha's got a grave. You can go there. You're looking for a holy man. You're looking for a philosophy. You're looking in the right place. Look in death. Who are you looking for? But Mary, if you're looking for the Lord of life, if you're looking for the word become flesh, if you're looking for God in the body of a first century Middle Eastern man, if you're looking for the eternal fountain of existence, if you're looking for the one in whom we are created and through whom we live and have our being, the one who sustains all things, if you're looking for him... They don't look in a grave. How can life stay dead? How can hope stay buried? How can the way be secreted and lost behind a stone? How can the truth be underground? Lady, turn around. Don't look in the grave. Easter isn't about looking in the grave. Easter's about turning around and looking in the garden. You'll find him alive. Hallelujah. What about you? Who are you looking for? What are you looking for? There's plenty of philosophies, plenty of religions, plenty of moral teaching. If that's what you want, go find a grave somewhere. Find a dead holy man somewhere. If you're looking for life and truth and hope, don't look in the grave, guys. Look in the garden. And then he speaks her name, Mary. My sheep will recognize my voice, he had said. See, I've called you by name and I've engraved you on the palms of my hands, he had said. She recognizes the voice speaking her name. She recognizes the tone of his voice. The penny drops. She'd been looking for him. But actually, he was already up earlier than her looking for her. Sometimes you come and you think, oh, I've come looking for God. God's already looking for you. He's hunting for you. And so she responds, Master, Rabboni, in her heart language, in Aramaic, that's her language. Because we can all respond in our own language to God. And so we have this frame. And the story really should end right there. It's beautiful. It's very Hollywood. Okay? You've got a man and a woman in the garden just as the sun is rising. It's beautiful. The violin should play. The scene should end just here. It's actually just like Genesis chapter 2. Right at the beginning in the garden of Eden, the first garden, the first man and the first woman. At the dawn of creation, Adam and Eve standing in the garden with all of history, all of the future, all of the human story stretching out before them. Little do they know it's going to be full of pain and darkness and disappointment and betrayal and mess and wars and genocide and sin and injustice. 
But now we have a new beginning, a new man and a new woman in a garden at the dawn of a whole new creation. It's, it's, it's like when your computer breaks and you take it to the guy and he restores it to factory settings and you get all your old stuff back, but it's a little bit shinier. It's like there's a reset. It's a relaunch. Again in a garden, a man and a woman, the bride and the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom, and Mary represents the bride, the church, us, all of us. Her story is our story. This woman is the woman that's being pursued metaphorically all the way through history. Mick's laughing because he said to me the other day, Andy, whenever you preach, you always say, her story is our story. That's true. That's how the Bible works. (laughs) All the way through the Bible, there's a bridegroom pursuing a bride. Here we find the meeting, and Mary represents us, the church. And here you have Christ and his church meeting in the garden. And before them stretches out all of latter history after that, the 2,000 years bringing us up to now. We're part of that story full of redemption and healing and salvation and the lonely being placed in families and the lost being brought home. And they stand together in the garden as the sun rises, as darkness is displaced by inevitable light, as night is pushed out the way by unstoppable dawn. And it should be a real Hollywood ending right here. But Jesus then breaks the silence, says something unexpected, like Jesus always does. He ruins the moment like Jesus always does. She's thinking, this is it. This is our moment. Me and Jesus, intimacy, we found each other. And then verse 17, Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But Mary, go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. So he's using lots of family language, Father, brothers. He's saying, Mary, you're not on your own in the world. You've got a family that I've created for you. But he says to her, go and tell them. He kind of breaks the moment. She's like, hey, let's just enjoy the sunrise for a moment. He's like, no, go and tell them. You see, we think the appropriate response to Easter is worship. But the appropriate response to Easter is mission. Go and tell my brothers. It's good news. Don't just stay here singing your songs. This is great. Go and tell some people. Jesus is alive. He knows my name. He spoke to me. He's not in the grave. So Mary is then the first sent one. She's the first missionary of the resurrection, a single woman, the most marginal, vulnerable person in her world, yet chosen and honored and used by Jesus. And we still celebrate her 2,000 years later. So, just to finish, if Jesus is dead, if the resurrection is a myth, a lie, a fable, a story, a mistake, a fabrication, we lose everything. We're still in our sins. Life is short and meaningless and pointless. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow or the next day or the next day you die. If Jesus is dead, for all the stuff that comes on you in your life, there is no solution, no resolution, no recourse, no power. For all the sin and the bad stuff inside of you, 
there is no forgiveness. If Jesus is dead, if it's a myth, go away. Carry guilt. Spread bitterness. Hurt people. Don't pray. Don't hope. Don't dream of a better world. It's not possible. Some people peer into the tomb, but all they see is grave clothes. Dead religion, a form of godliness that doesn't have any power or any life in it. Or even better, stay home in bed, have a Sunday morning lion. What are you doing here if Jesus is dead? If Jesus is dead, ultimately, so are you. And so am I. But, if Jesus is risen from the dead, everything changes, amen? If this bit is true, then all of it's true. Because this is the weirdest bit. If Jesus is risen, there can be intimacy. Finding each other. You can hear him speak your name. If Jesus is risen, you can see angels where other people only saw bits of cloth. Turn around. Stop looking into the tomb. Look at the garden. Don't see death. See life. Don't see an ending. See the beginning of a story. If Jesus is risen, the darkness is ending, the night is passing, and the dawn is close. If Jesus is risen, there's hope. If Jesus is risen, however unlikely it seems, however impossible it seems, there's hope for your situation. Because if he walked out of the tomb... If even death that had the best statistics, me and Aaron were talking, Aaron did maths A-level, right? We were talking about this this morning. Death had the best statistics. 100% everybody born dies. How disappointed was death when Jesus broke its perfect win run? If Jesus walked out of the tomb, then you can walk out of anything by his grace and by his power. If Jesus is risen, anything is possible, however hopeless and dark and lost and dead it is. If Jesus is risen, there's honor for the unlikely, and the lonely are placed in families. And Mary, you don't have to go back to your demons. If Jesus is risen, we're not afraid, even of death, because he promised to raise us too, to go prepare a place for us. And if Jesus is risen, he's gone to our Father and so let's go tell our brothers. Amen.